Welcome, friends. You're listening to The What's Right Show, coming to you loud and clear from beautiful downtown Las Vegas. Sam Murchofsky here of the United States of Samerica. That's right. Uh, we're all in this together, folks. And here in Las Vegas, we need to pay attention to what is occurring in cities around this country, particularly those that have decided to go all in on the woke agenda. Now, I think one of these particularly great cautionary tales of the liberal utopia is San Francisco. And I don't know if you saw this news the other day. It almost sort of passed in the, um, in the scenery of all the, all the insane things going on in the world, which is uh, a news story that would seem, at first blush, of little consequence. And what was being said, and basically in the gist of it, is that, that Whole Foods was closing an almost brand new store in San Francisco because of rampant uh, crime and drug use uh, surrounding the establishment. Now, friends, there is so much more to this story. And I, uh, I, I think we need to get into it. Because to understand just how big of a retreat this is for a company notorious for watching its bottom line, you've got to understand that it puts into context the disparity, the hell that people are being put through in the city of San Francisco. And, and these, you know, frankly, the, the sacrifices being borne by regular people and, at the same time, wealthy, large corporations like Amazon that owns, uh, or, you know, the owner of Amazon owns Whole Foods. It's the same, it's the same thing. The, the, the amount of pain inflicted by these woke policies is becoming immeasurable. Now, let me just, let me tell you, first off, I don't know if any of you uh, enjoy San Francisco. I used to love the city. I thought it was, I still think, from a natural beauty perspective, uh, San Francisco is stunning. It's beautiful. You go there, it's the, the hills, the topography, you're right on the ocean. Uh, you know, whether it's, you know, sometimes a little chilly, right? And Mark Twain's famous quip about San Francisco, the uh, coldest winter I ever experienced was a summer in San Francisco. If you've been there in June and July, you know what I mean. It's, it's, um, <laughs> it's cold, but it is beautiful, except for the politics. Now, a great city, a city that was, in, in, in many ways, much wealthier than L.A. to the south, uh, San Francisco was a, a center of commerce in California, a, an outpost of, of high society, of civilization in the Wild West. And today has devolved into, into and just, and if you walk the streets now and you, you go there, you see it's, it's just surrounded by abject poverty, homelessness, crime, property crime, right? Drug use. This property, this Whole Foods, is on 8th and Market. Let me give you a little bit of perspective. Less than a mile away 
up Market Street is the Four Seasons Hotel. Now, Four Seasons is, of course, a luxury hotel. But what do I mean by this? This is a place that, by the way, also has residences. Some of the wealthiest people in the city live there. Between the Four Seasons and this particular 8th and Market Street location that's been recently shuttered by Whole Foods, because, by the way, they've said it's not safe to operate the store, is a major department store. And if you visited San Francisco, maybe you've seen it. It's a Westgate department store. And there's a Nordstrom's. There are a number of luxury stores within that shopping center. And that's in between the two. I mean, I don't know how it is, a couple blocks or whatever it is. It's very close. And this Whole Foods, this is a 64,000 square foot store. It's an enormous store. They opened it about a year ago. Let me, let me tell you what, let's just back of the envelope math here. Let's say that the build out cost them, I don't know, cost them $250 a foot which in a city I think is, is, a, is, a, is a reasonable number. It's Whole Foods. You know, it's a nice high-end uh, grocery store. If that's the case, you're looking at a, um, what's, the, what's the build out there? At a minimum, you're looking at a, at a 16, 16 million, excuse me, dollar build out. Those are just the tenant improvement costs, right? That's not the lease. That's not your rent for the space that you've signed. That's just money. That is cash you're putting in just to build the store out. It could be much higher. It could be 500 a foot. You know, it could be 30, 32 million. So you have to understand what enormous event, what pressure it takes for a company to, you know, to to abandon a multi-million dollar investment like this. A year ago, one year ago, back in, well, back in 2022, Leighton Woodhouse, writing for the New York Post, uh, said something here that ended ended up becoming prophetic. In an article titled, How Woke Policies Turned Downtown San Francisco into an Urban Drug Den, Leighton wrote about how neighborhoods were turned into open-air fentanyl markets as a result of a soft-on-crime policy that permeated much of San Francisco. Now, remember Chesa Boudin was the uh, district attorney there in San Francisco who decided, I mean, he was a big defund the police guy. He was a George Soros acolyte. And he came along and he said, you know, we're really not going to prosecute lower-level crimes. We're going we're gonna, to we're going to, to roll our sleeves up and really delve deep into restorative justice. There was this idea, and by the way, it wasn't just Boudin. It was the city leaders that decided, you know, the way we're going to combat drug abuse is give people areas in the city where they can buy drugs legally. Well, without, you know, any, any interference from law enforcement. The consequence of this has been horrible. And the story here, the, the takeaway, the lesson is that anything and everything that liberals touch, when they decide to go full utopia on even as beautiful 
as stunning of a city as San Francisco, it is going to turn to crap. Eventually, it all just goes to hell in a handbasket. And that is what you're seeing here. And I bring this up because, you know, we, we, you know what was it, last week, a week and a half ago, there was a, a violent stabbing in an, in an upscale part of San Francisco. And it was a, a tech executive, a guy who was a, a well-known, I think he was a billionaire. At any rate, it was worth hundreds of millions of dollars at the very least. And he was knifed at two in the morning, killed in front of a, of a building where he was close to his hotel. And, and, and what did we hear? We hear all the statistics, right? We hear the, 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 the by the way, and I'm, I'm convinced these statistics are cooked. And I've heard this from people in New York. I've heard it from people in San Francisco. I'm hearing it from people in Minneapolis. They go, well, we're the, you know, we're the safest big city in America. Well, you know, murders have gone down in the last, uh, over the last five years. Well, violent assaults are down. Really? Then why in the H-E double hockey sticks is a sophisticated and relatively left-wing company like Whole Foods abandoning an almost 65,000-square-foot store within walking distance of the Four Seasons Hotel, where they have, by the way, I'm going to say residences and people living that are the kind of customers that go in and buy overpriced groceries. Why are they abandoning the store? And the answer is that we have a, a huge divide between what the official statistics are and the reality on the ground. And we saw this during COVID, did we not? We saw how during COVID they manipulated the stats. Well, this thing is just terrible and creating problems and kids are dying. And Sam, you, you, know, you can't argue against COVID mitigation because you just want people to die of COVID. Actual quote by some people here in town about me. Well, now you can't argue about, well, you can't argue that crime is up. This is just subjective. It's just the media blowing it up. Well, this isn't the media. This is, these are people that are, that are number crunching, that are going, I'm out. If you visited San Francisco a little while ago, maybe, say, 10 years ago, one of the most interesting phenomena I thought always was along Market Street, there were all these grocery stores, you know, Walgreens and whatnot, CVS type of thing. And there was one, I mean, there was one almost every other block, if not every block. And it was it was just a thing. And they, they kind of serve almost like bodegas do in, in New York. You go in there for, you know, quick things, you know, bottles of water and some snacks and, you know, not necessarily groceries, but you go in there for those kind of needs. Plus, of course, uh, there's a pharmacy. And those stores have been disappearing too. And this is not a new thing. This over the last couple of years have been boarded up and, and leaving because it is a direct consequence of low-level crimes not getting prosecuted, the DA saying explicitly we will not prosecute crimes over, you know, under a certain threshold. And emboldened criminals know it is a free pass to loot and steal. And the rea predictable reaction, of course, we that live in, in, in the real world know that now, of course, these people are going to 
take advantage, and the scores are going to do the one predictable thing, which is board up and go away. Because your business model can absorb some theft, but cannot absorb endless theft. And that is what's going on here. I'm telling you, folks, these liberal cities are cooking the numbers. They're not, it's not accurate. And the truth, the real proof in the pudding are these people who have invested these stores, these companies have invested millions of dollars to be in a particular location saying, see you later, I'm out. And this matters to us here in Las Vegas because trust me when I tell you there are people in our midst in this great city that think the same way as the people that have buried New York, that have buried San Francisco, that are burying Minneapolis. That thinking is here, and we cannot allow it to take root. All right, quick break here. Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. Welcome to the What's Right Show. I'll be back in a moment. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Well, I almost, friends, am tempted uh, to rejoice in a little bit of schadenfreude. By the way, what does that mean? It's delighting in the, uh, in this case, in the results, in the, in the aftermath of someone's poor decisions. Uh, the left, friends, by the way, Sam Rajovsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. The left for so long has been banging on about what? Social justice, about CRT, about, well, defunding the police, all of this stuff. And they've implemented it in the areas and the places and the cities that they control politically. They have been able to make this uh, fantasy of theirs uh, happen. They have manifested it. Uh, to be, and the result of it is frightening. The result of it is horrifying. Now, just before the break, we were talking about one small example of this, although I would, I would say it's not small. It's, it's significant and it's expensive. Uh, Whole Foods announcing it would shutter its flagship store in San Francisco, 64,737 square feet, those of you in the construction business will attest to that being big. And by the way, Sam at SamAndAshLaw.com, you tell me, I'm not a construction person. Uh, what do you think the square footage, uh, the, the per foot TI costs on that could be? I'm With everything, right? Refrigeration, with the tech, with, you know, the shelving. But, but you know, but there's a lot of... There's a lot of equipment that goes into these stores. So what are we at at a per foot cost? I mean, it could be 500 a foot. You know, and at that rate, plus you're building inside of a city, inside of a high rise. This is in the, in the ground floor and basement of a high rise. A little trickier to build there. It could be more expensive. I mean, it could be a $30 million build out. And they walked away from it. But at the same time, you know, if you listen to some of these fools running these cities, they go, well, you know, the statistics are we're actually the safest big city in America. Mayor Adams in New York says that. Well, guess what? 
I know people that live in New York. They do not feel safer. I know businesses. I know people that have have closed their stores are moving out of New York, are are picking everything up and, and, and going to Florida, are going elsewhere to get away from it. So my suspicion, my gut on all of this is that, that, they're, that the numbers are, are, are nonsense. It's fugazi. They're just making stuff up as they go along. Now, one of the most, I don't know, deliciously ironic, speaking of schadenfreude, you know, this is all coming home to roost. Uh, San Francisco, they have district supervisors. These are like city council people. By the way, these are the same folks that are considering right now whether or not to give reparations to every black city resident to the tune of millions of dollars per person. Hillary Ronan, who, by the way, I saw a Newsweek piece here. She's one of them. Oh, where do I have this? I, I got this. I'll be pulled this up. Yeah, Newsweek did a thing. Again, it's Newsweek. This is not Breitbart. Board member, San Francisco District Supervisor Board member Hillary Roden, Ronan, said that she could not wait to implement the recommendations of the Reparations Committee as she was sharing images from the hearing on Tuesday. She's all in this. She put out a tweet, beautiful images from historic hearings on reparations. So this person is woke as, you know, as can be. And here is her complaining on March 15th, three weeks ago, in a budget and appropriations committee hearing, yet almost kind of berating the chief for lack of policing in her district, in the Mission District. Now, the Mission District, by the way, that's a little bit of San Fran knowledge here, is right next to, is adjacent to the Tenderloin, where this particular uh, Whole Foods that's being shut because of an open-air drug market that nobody can take care of outside the store is closing. Now listen to what she's saying. I mean, now listen, I'm telling you, she's a major lib. She's all in for reparations. She's been one of the strongest advocates for defunding police. And now, well, three weeks ago, she almost sounds like a Republican. We've been begging for more footbeats and for more officers in the Mission District. I've been begging this department to give the mission what it deserves in terms of police presence all year long. And I have been told time and time and time and time again, there are no officers that we can send to mission. It hurts and I feel betrayed by the department. I feel betrayed by the mayor. I feel betrayed by the priorities of the city. It is not this board of supervisors priorities. We want our residents safe. We don't want our residents getting shot getting assaulted, getting killed, because in the mission, chief, it's not theft. In the mission, people are getting shot and killed. In the mission, people are getting beat up. In the mission, people are dying. Whoa! August 2020, in the heat of BLM, this same SF district supervisor tweeted, quote, I want to make it clear that I believe strongly in defunding the police and reducing the number of officers on our force for decades, we've had an imbalance in our city's budget, referring to San Francisco, with hundreds of millions of dollars going to SFPD to have them do work they're not qualified 
to do. Cry more, liberal lady. Cry more. And we come back. Arnold Schwarzenegger is sorry. You got to hear this. Don't go anywhere. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit SamAndAshLaw.com. Greetings, friends, and welcome to the What's Right Show. Sam Rajovsky here, bottom of the hour. This hour brought to you, by the way, by Sam and Ash Injury Law, because you deserve attorneys that share your values. Friends, we are live. We are local. We are with the times. We are, in fact, often ahead of the news cycle. Now, in some cases, uh, folks can't keep up. In other cases, they're just flat out behind. (laughs) For example, President Joe Biden (laughs) yesterday (laughs) signed legislation to end the COVID-19 national emergency. (laughs) The bill to end the national emergency cleared the Senate last month, and he finally got around to signing it. Here's the great thing. (laughs) I can't. Here's the great thing. The Senate vote. I can't. Robbie, I can't. This is the Senate voted last month. 68 to 23. Okay. 68 to 23. I to end the emergency. I want to know. This is why I'm laughing. I want to know the 23 U.S. senators. And I want to know who they are, which, of course, I mean, it's, we can find this out. Uh, we'll put producer Robbie in it. I'll tell you later in the program. The 23 no votes that want to continue the COVID-19 emergency. All right. I want to know who they are and, 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 and where were they lobotomized? Like, you know, what, what hospital? Uh Rights, because this is this is insane. Imagine your state of mind. I have talked about this here before. Imagine your state of mind if you are going about your life today, right? April twenty twenty three. You're going about your life, and you're and you're what? Still somehow uh, worried about COVID. Now, I think those 23 folks, and they're not folks, right? These are U.S. senators. They're people that are elected and hold office every six years. Well, it could be Fetterman. Although, I don't think, has he, has he shown up? Has John Fetterman from Pennsylvania shown up to any votes? He's emerged from the hospital for, you know, for, for, for psych treatment, but um, I don't know if he's been to any votes. Nonetheless, you know, what state of mind do you have to be as a U.S. senator to still be afraid of this? And I'll tell you this, that the divides up, that the divide is this. There are certainly some people in the political establishment who are uh, bananas, okay? And they absolutely believe that COVID is still an existential threat that needs to be, you know, 
government needs to maintain powers in order to go in and wag their finger at you and I and say, Sam, you ought to be doing this and you not to be doing that. And yeah, 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 right. They, they love that power and they don't want to give it up. But I tell you, the other part of it for Democrats is they are holding on to COVID because they realize it was the best pretext they had to steal elections. Meaning, let me spell that out, they knew that being able to go all male, M-A-I-L, all male, all the time, every election was their winning strategy. And this is, folks, this is because they're very good at cheating. They're very good at collecting votes. They're very good at ballot harvesting. Now, if you've listened to me for some time, you know that my, my reply to this is not for us to whine and complain about it as Republicans, but to do something about it, meaning we ought to get good at it too. This is my problem with, you know, with a lot of what I'm hearing right now on our side of the aisle. Oh, the election was stolen. They cheated. Okay, fine. I don't disagree. But, the, you know, what's the point here? Okay, so they cheated. So we got, well, we got to do the same thing, no? If they're out there collecting ballots and some of these ballots appear to be a little funny and nobody cares about it, well, fine. Let's go out there and hustle. Let's go out there and collect them. But I'm telling you, this, the, the, the folks that are hanging on to the to COVID-19, uh, these are people that understand the political benefits that COVID-19 brought to the political landscape. So I, I, voting landscape in particular, elections. So that's what this is all about. Now, speaking of COVID, there's been a mea culpa recently. I got it here in my, oh, where is it? Over here, yes. Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, tweeted out recently uh, that he was sorry. He was sorry for tweeting out or making a statement, screw your freedom in response to people arguing that they shouldn't be forced to take the COVID-19 vaccinations. Arnold Schwarzenegger uttered the phrase, screw your freedom, during the COVID-19 pandemic, but now is apologizing for doing so on Twitter. The response was uh, precipitated by a user on Twitter who applauded Schwarzenegger's new podcast, Pump Club, uh, but expressed sympathy for those who had trouble reconciling the podcast's positive demeanor with Arnold's past inflammatory anti-COVID skeptic statements. Now, Schwarzenegger responded and quoted the tweet and said his poor choice of words has haunted him for some time. Here's the direct quote. I want to thank you for your open-mindedness. I think we should be able to disagree without being enemies. So far, so good. I under, you know, appreciate that from Arnold. Here's what else I'll say. This is Arnold Schwarzenegger. I am sorry for saying those words. I try to be relentlessly positive. But sometimes my mouth gets ahead of me. I should have communicated better. Now, back in 2021, of course, when he said this, there was uh, backlash against mask wearing. There was backlash against vaccines, there's backlash against a lot of COVID mitigation measures that many of us were expressing on the basis of using natural intelligence 
critical thinking, and objective reasoning. The fact that Arnold was too dumb to link these things together or too afraid to take a stand is his problem that he has to live with. Now, as a general rule, you know, somebody apologizes and says they were sorry and admits fault. You know, I'm ready to move on. But when it comes to COVID, when it comes to somebody as public, as prominent as Schwarzenegger, I don't think so. I'm bothered by the fact that he thinks a simple tweet and saying, whoopsie-daisy, you know, I, sometimes my mouth gets ahead of me. I, I could have communicated better. No, it's not you could have communicated better. It's that you were wrong. Notice that so many of these people who were wrong about COVID want from us, the, you know, some kind of forgiveness and I talk about this, you know, we, you know the, what is it, the COVID uh, amnesty? They want amnesty. They want to be, they want absolution. Uh, but they, but they're not willing to come out and lay it out. The layout would be, you know what? My name's Arnold Schwarzenegger. I effed up. I said, you know, that basically people didn't deserve their freedom, even though, wait a minute, even though Arnold Schwarzenegger, side note, came to this country for opportunity and freedom, like my parents did from Europe, ought to be kissing the ground that he walks on for giving him an incredible life, incredible opportunities, literally should be bleeding for the earth beneath his feet. And understand and connect that his success, his life in this country is a consequence of the freedom that is here. That, you know, that Hollywood, for example, didn't happen because of a bunch of woke pansies getting together and, you know, and, and crying themselves uh, into woke victimhood. But no, no, no. Hollywood happened because a bunch of immigrants got together and <laughs> busted their humps to create something out of nothing. I would argue that Hollywood, of course, now is just being dismantled like much of American greatness by the woke liberal left. So Arnold doesn't get it. But sometimes my mouth gets ahead of me. Yeah. And you still don't get it. You slammed this country. It wasn't even about COVID. When you said, what did he say? Screw your freedom. Our freedom is all we've got. Our freedom, the little bit of it that we have left, is what sets us apart from so many countries around the world. Hell, you can, today, if I blindfolded you and I dropped you in the middle of Canada, let's say somewhere in like Alberta, I'm not talking about Quebec, but Alberta, and you were walking around some small town in Alberta outside of Edmonton, let's say, You'd look around, and, and if you didn't see the license plates and, a, you know, and the one Canadian flag that's up somewhere because really nobody there is very proud of their country, you wouldn't know that you're not in America. It all kind of looks the same. People sound the same. But you would figure it out very quickly that you're not in America. You would figure out how little freedom you have 
in a country that shares the same language in a lot of ways, the same culture, uh, give or take, to the point where you know you can you can literally be dropped in town and and, and go. This could be the U.S., but you quickly figure out it's not. Screw your freedom was not just an idle remark. It was a state of mind of a person so beholden to the Hollywood left-wing establishment that he just couldn't get himself past there. Remember, Arnold is the guy who ran for governor, became governor of California. Gray Davis, a weak Democrat, was booted from office. Schwarzenegger came in, had big plans, big talk about what he was going to do. Biggest Republican disappointment of my lifetime. So no, apology not accepted, Arnold. Not until you realize and come forth and, and, and explain why you think you're wrong, because it's the understanding of why you're wrong uh, that matters to me. Our quick break here, gotta, you know, yeah, get to these commercials. You know, these people pay the bills around here, so need to do that. Sam Rajovsky, The What's Right Show, brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law, 702-820-1234. I'll be back in a moment. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Greetings, friends. Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840 KXNT, live and local here in beautiful downtown Las Vegas. Uh, my email, sam at salmonashlaw.com, sam at salmonashlaw.com. Instagram, you can find us at What's Right Show. Same with Twitter. And me personally, What's Right Sam on Instagram and Twitter. No TikTok. Uh, on matter, uh, it's a matter of principle. Yes. No TikTok. Sorry about that. All right. When we're talking about Schwarzenegger and him giving a tepid, uh, kind of lame apology here on screw your freedom, on, on, uh, regarding his remarks, screw your freedom, which was back in the height of the COVID uh, pandemic. Now, my point here is I don't think these COVID people understand the consequences of their actions. I don't think they understand what a devastating impact school shutdowns had on young people. They don't get it. I mean, they'll admit, of course, that shutting down schools had consequences for young people, but they will never admit, they will never admit that they shouldn't have shut down the schools. They will, at best, they will say, well, if we knew what we know now, then yes, I understand. But they will not come clean about this. The people that were hysterical, yelling at, at, at folks in, in, in airports and stores and restaurants, pointing their finger, you're not wearing a mask. Put a mask on. You're a terrible person. These people have just now gently blended themselves back into society and are, are pretending like nothing happened. There was a guy... Oh, this is a great example of this. There's a guy, I'm, I, I don't know him. I actually don't even know his name, but I recognize him by sight. Back when COVID first broke out, 
I had a friend who owned a restaurant uh, in Newport, uh, California, Newport Beach, California, and I was uh, kind of when when COVID broke out, I was still going fairly regularly back and forth between Newport and and Orange County, and I was spending a bit of time in this in this restaurant, and he never shut down for COVID because you know it's it's Newport Beach. And this friend, you know, his restaurant was open, and, and a handful of us who, who did not take this thing too seriously from the start had the immense pleasure of enjoying each other's company while getting served food in a totally normal setting. Now, I cannot tell you how wonderful it was to enjoy normalcy when the whole world was going to hell. It was fabulous. For my mental uh, state, I'm a social person. I love eating out. I cannot tell you what great joy this brought me. So I'll get to the point of the story here. There was a guy who suddenly pulls up. He's got this big four-door Porsche car, whatever it was, Taycan or or, uh, Panamera, pulls up, and he gets out of the car, and he's upset, and he pulls out his cell phone. You know where I'm going with this, right? He pulls out his cell phone, and he presses the video button. And now he's recording. Ooh, you got me. He's recording me, and he's recording everybody in the restaurant. You go, you guys are eating here. You shouldn't be doing this. There's a public health directive. I look at him. I say, you put your camera down. Stop recording me. I'm beat that. And I may have said some other nice words. I don't go around hitting people. I would have literally beaten him to a pulp. And I would have enjoyed it. And I bring this up because the guy from time to time when I'm visiting uh, Newport will pop in for the same restaurant and sit down and have a meal. And he'll kind of like wave to me because he recognizes me. <laughs> like, like nothing happened. And on some level, I have to understand, I have to, you're going to have to forgive me this analogy, but now I, I understand what it was like when World War II ended and the French and the Dutch and the, you know, whatever country was invaded, for example, by Germany had to walk around and, and breathe the same air as the collaborators that made their lives a living hell in some cases uh, creating an untold amount of, of, of grief and pain for these people. I, you know, I, I've, I've read those stories. You know, oh, I, I, we knew that those people over there collaborated with the Germans. Well, I know who was out there doing this crazy stuff, yelling out in Summerlin, these people, <laughs> there's a radio host here in town who on Twitter spent most of his time, and I know him, and I... I, I, I like him even. I, I don't know, but he spent most of his time yelling about all the people playing basketball out in parks even after the city came along and removed the ba- basketball hoops to you know dissuade people from going out and being in the sun, in the fresh air, when a pandemic was in our midst. These people, this is, it's, it's, it's a... It's a level of dimension. And by the way, I'll tell you, my problem with this is 
is that liberals, for the most part, do not understand the consequences of their of their of their vote, of their policy opinion, and 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 then the reality that follows. It's like that with COVID. It's like that with crime. Defund the police. You heard the San Francisco police commissioner, uh, district supervisor Hillary Ronan. Big BLM supporter, big defund the police supporter. And then in March, middle of March, berating the cops for not putting enough officers on in the mission district because people are getting beat up and robbed. It's like they do not connect the dots from A to B, from decisions, from policy to results. And that is my frustration with the left. You, you know, it's, just, it's all emotional. It's all, it's just, it's fantasy land. And then when the fantasy, you know, hits, it's the fan, and suddenly it's like, well, we, didn't, we had no idea. We didn't see this coming. Well, you should have listened to the What's Right show. Jerk offs. All right, Sam Rajofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT, back in a moment. Hi, it's Ash from Sam and Ash Injury Law. You need a lawyer you can trust. So give us a call at 702-820-1234 or go to SamAndAshLaw.com. No pressure, just answers, because you deserve what's right. You're listening to the What's Right Show. Sam Rajofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT, your place for common sense conservatism. Now, uh, I'll tell you one of the things that uh, I need to address here, of course, in the wake of yesterday's tragic events in Louisville, is this survey that just got released by the Kaiser Family Foundation. The news at the top of the hour mentioned it. So I, I, I wanted to delve into this here for a second, if you'll permit me. Uh, because it's, um, well, I'm just, I, I just don't believe the statistic. Now, if you haven't heard the news, it's Kaiser Family Foundation says that most families have been affected by a gun-related incident. Nearly one in five adults has had a family member killed by a gun, including in homicide and suicide. Now, the suicide numbers, okay, are actually much larger than homicide numbers. I mean, they, well, not much larger, but they're the lion's share. I think they're 53 54%. Uh, The most comprehensive, most recent comprehensive available statistics uh, go back to 2020. So we're a couple years behind. But we can, Pew recently did an analysis of this going all the way back to 1968. If we look at murder rates, murder rates have risen from 1968 to 2020 by exactly one per 100,000. From 5.2 to 6.2 murdered persons per 100,000 people. Now, it's an unacceptably high number at 5.2 as it is at 6.2, but I'm just giving you a little bit of perspective here relative to the population, what it is. So if 6.2 people in 2020 are the victims of gun violence and a homicide, Seven in 100,000 people in suicide, 
What is that together? Quick uh, back of the envelope math here. 13, just over 13 out of 100,000. Either suicide or murder, which is the lion's share of gun violence in the U.S. I mean, I don't know how you get to one in six, one in five adults. I mean, this is, this is affected by it. I guess, what does the word affected by mean? And also gun violence. Right? How are they touched by this? Watching the news and it bothers you? I mean, what, what I think, you, you just got to look at the numbers. Again, just like COVID, you know, we got into a, we, we made a whole lot of big policy decisions without really looking at the math. And when we looked at the math, we, we, got, we, we decided to interpret the math as we wanted to in order to advance a particular narrative. And that, of course, has had, and I believe in the coming years, we'll find have even more uh, devastating consequences. So I I guess this is including people who've been threatened with a gun. Uh, That's a pretty, I, I don't know how you count that up. I guess this is a survey, so they're asking people for their reactions. I, I, I would say the more that this is in the news, the more people are going to say, yes, this has affected me. Because I will tell you, I mean, drop my kids off at school in the morning, and I, I think about it now. And I think about it, something's going to happen to their school when they're at school. And I, I mean, that's a, it's a terrible thing to have, have go through your head as a father, as a parent. Dropping your kid off, it doesn't mean that I've been affected by gun violence. It's just on my mind because it's in the news. So this is a, you know, this is just an interesting note on this, and I think uh, bears some some exploration. But yes, the murder rate has gone up and down. In fact, has gone down for years from 1992 to about 2015, and then starting in late 2015, 16 has gone up dramatically to 2020. So there have been dramatic ups and downs, but overall relatively flat from 1968 to 2020. Just uh, throwing that out there. By the way, uh, gun violence, you know, the, the stories that get in the news, and this is an important point, the stories that make it into the news are what? What do we hear about? We hear about the school shooting. We hear about the guy that goes to the bank that he got fired from. This guy that's got mental problems is a sociopath, is a, maybe has had some head injuries, closed head trauma, CRT, right? Uh, uh, closed head injuries has had, uh, um, has had these problems and is, is experiencing some, some issues. And by the way, when I say he's a sociopath, I mean, he's, he, he clearly is a suicidal person, but decides that he's going to take people with him. I mean, that's, I mean, that's sociopathy. I mean, it's, it's, it's bad stuff. So we have, um, we, we have, that's the individual that we're talking about. So we, this, the, those, but those stories get the headlines. The gangbanger that shoots, you know, five people dead in his neighborhood in, 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 in Baltimore. Nobody, nobody reads about that. That isn't national news. The shop clerk that gets killed in a convenience store at a botched robbery. That doesn't make the news, right? We're very selective in our, in our outrage. And for the most part, 
I'll tell you again, when it comes to banning guns, a lot of gun violence could actually be prevented with people law-abiding citizens being armed. So uh, this is my, my problem with gun control advocates. Look, if it was a real solution, I would be the first sitting here going, listen, uh, there's something that needs to be done here about this. But it just doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. So through the break, just to here finish something here that does not make sense for, for sure, we went through, producer Robbie gave us the 23 senators who voted to extend yesterday, well, this was end of last month, voted to extend federal COVID emergency measures. This is, this list is, this is the list of shame. These people still think we ought to be in a state of emergency at the federal level when it comes to COVID-19. A couple of names here uh, stand out. Now, one of them is... uh, Cory Booker from New Jersey, he's there. Tammy Duckworth, who a lot of people call a moderate Democrat. She's not, clearly, absolutely crazy. Chuck Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader. Bernie Sanders of Vermont. (laughs) Bernie, he's all in for COVID still. That's not a surprise. By the way, he'll, he'll show up at events. He's got the big mask on, and his ears have... I, I think if he's one of these people who's worn the mask so much his ears has migrated forward on his head. Alex Padilla in California. Bob Menendez, who has, I think, he, this guy's got like nine lives, politically speaking, has avoided federal charges on more than one occasion of New Jersey also voting for it. So you've got, you've got oh, Elizabeth Warren, Focahontas. She's there too. Yeah, the, this is this is a this is not the honor roll. These are the people that still want the government in your lives. They will take any excuse to put the government in your business because that is what fuels them. That is what they love. Nothing, nothing more. It's absolutely what they what they want. All right, friends, we got to take a quick break here. Sam Rajovsky, you're listening to the What's Right Show. Brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law. Hi, it's Ash from Sam and Ash Injury Law. You need a lawyer you can trust. So give us a call at 702-820-1234 or go to SamandAshLaw.com. No pressure, just answers, because you deserve what's right. Hey, here we are. Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840 KXNT, Nevada's favorite recovering Californian reporting for duty. Yes, you're listening to the What's Right Show. By the way, if you've missed any portion of today's program, please find us on the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the Odyssey app. And just look up What's Right Show, and there you'll see my smiling face, and uh, you know how to do the rest. Just subscribe and follow and This way you can catch up on any material that you miss during the week. Now, we're always here 1 to 3 p.m. right here on News Talk 840 KXNT. And it's a great time to have in the middle of the day to get through some of the issues facing us. I I don't know if you've been following the story with Justice Thomas. Under a bit of fire, uh, this is related to a – well, it's a – I this is a – in my view – uh, a faux scandal. And I'll explain why as, as we progress, but basically the, the premise of it is that uh, 
Clarence Thomas has had a longstanding uh, relationship uh, with a wealthy uh, donor. He's a donor to the Republican Party. He's a businessman, successful guy. Uh, this is um, his name is Harlan Crow, and he's basically for twenty five years him and his family and Clarence Thomas uh, and his wife. Uh, have gone on vacations, have have enjoyed uh, time together, have gone on trips. And no doubt, by the way, no doubt, I'm not defending this, no doubt has Clarence Thomas been at the receiving end of a fair amount of, of, of graciousness by Mr. Crow. Now, I'm going to take Clarence Thomas at his word that everything that he has accepted – from Harlan Crow meets the guidelines set forward by the court that the justices themselves impose the rules that they impose on themselves. I would assume that if it didn't, that would be the lead story. Instead, the lead story is this is inappropriate. This is a Republican crime wave. This is crazy and outright. And it's a bunch of hyperbole, but not necessarily anything substantive. I talked a little bit about this this morning with Alan Stock of Vegas at 8 here on News Talk 840 KXNT, usually Tuesdays about 8.30. We check in, go over some issues. And my point then stands now, which is this would be perhaps problematic, uh, could be very well problematic, if it, we find out that Clarence Thomas had heard cases where Harlan Crow was a party – in those cases, and Clarence Thomas did not recuse himself. Judges are required to step out of cases, step out of matters where close friends uh, that they interact with are, are you know, are, are, are part of the case, whether they're a party, a lawyer, you know, financially involved in the litigation, whatnot. Now, if that didn't happen, uh, meaning if, if, if Harlan Crow was, was never a party in a lawsuit, for example, that appeared uh, before the Supreme Court, well, then they, there's no, no, no ethical rules were violated, provided that all of the disclosures and everything else that the Supreme Court requires of each justice was followed. Now, what we have here, right, is no evidence of that. We have... Quite to the contrary, I guess the best thing that they've come up with is that Harlan Crow, the billionaire friend of Justice Thomas, had a is part of the American Enterprise Institute. I guess he's on the board of trustees. And as part of AEI, that group has filed a lot of amicus briefs with the Supreme Court. uh, Related to a variety of cases over the years. Now, amicus briefs, these are. Uh, papers. These are these are uh, documents written in support of certain positions or opposed to certain positions, certain cases that might be heard by the court. They're very important because justices will read them uh, before making a decision. They are like we'll call them written arguments in support of or against uh, particular issues in front of the court, but they're not parties to the suit. And so to me, this is not – some people are making hay of this. Well, he was on the board of AEI, and AEI has filed these amicus briefs. These are just letters of support written to the court on a particular issue. So, for example, like let's say we have 
I don't know, the Obamacare litigation, right? The AEI might write a letter saying, we do not want socialized medicine. And here are all the legal reasons why we don't want it. I don't know that that document necessarily, first off, I don't know if that document changes Thomas's mind in any way, shape, or form. I just don't think that a document produced by an institute where this guy's on the, on the board of it and the trustee of it um, is, is improper. So this whole thing is, is a whole lot of hooey. But, of course, AOC immediately got on board with making hay of this. And one of the things that she said is, you know, she's, she's calling for uh, the ouster of Justice Clarence Thomas. And as part of this, well, I just let me play a little clip here. Uh, this is this is what AOC here is saying about it. I just want to make sure I've got the right clip. Uh, this is AOC talking uh, about a crime wave in the Republican Party needing to hold people accountable. Listen to this. I admit it is a, it is very difficult to see a path in a Republican Party that refuses to hold itself accountable and, in fact, breaches the law itself. For all of their talk of a crime wave and Democrats, talk, uh, Republicans talking about crime waves across the country, the crime wave is within the Republican Party. It is within all of of the what we are seeing. We have we have seen uh, we are seeing breaking of the law by uh, conservative members of the court. We are seeing a a. Pr- a former president of the United States just indicted uh, in the in recent days. I mean, we need to hold our systems accountable. Now, she goes on saying there's calls for Justice Thomas uh, uh, to be investigated. Um, and then she uses the word that the Democrats use all the time. It's the L word. Let me see if you can hear the L word from AOC, and you'll know what I'm talking about. I know about. that there are calls for Chief Justice to, for the Chief Justice Roberts to initiate an investigation. I do not think that uh, this court any longer has the legitimacy, especially after the Supreme Court leak last year, which never came to a conclusion. The, and it is the House's responsibility to well, pursue that investigation in the form of impeachment. Whoa, 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 whoa. The, the House, okay. Yeah, these, by the way, Supreme Court justices are confirmed by the Senate. Ultimately, it's the Senate that will des- decide this if there is an impeachment proceeding initiated in the House. So she's right that the House would pursue the investigation, but she's overstating her role in all of this. But this idea that this court has any, has lacks legitimacy, is something that the Democrats want more than anything. And the important point here to understand is that the the Democrats in this country have had quite a strong showing when it comes to overtaking and appropriating great institutions, right? I mean, you look at media. Democrats have a supermajority control there, almost I would say, near total control of education, Hollywood, music, pop culture. And think of all the bureaucrats embedded in the deep state. They're all Democrats. And Republicans have, I mean, friends, this was my, I mean, Trump got started a little bit at cleaning out the swamp, but I mean, he might have been a little distracted, but a lot more should have been done. 
I have no doubt that were a guy like DeSantis, for example, to get in office, first thing he would do is, is literally put out pink slips. Uh, he would not care about contracts. He would not care about employment rules. He would literally start dumping state employees, I mean government, federal employees, wholesale out of the government to clean it out. But my point here is Republicans, for the most part, have ceded control of this over, over the media, over education, right, all this stuff. But one thing Republicans have done over the years very effectively is go after the courts, and they, they've, they've done well in that regard on balance. Uh, Trump uh, being a, a, a great example of that, right? And the Dems are not – they're not happy with just having everything else. They want it all. And this is why at every turn they argue about the legitimacy of the Supreme Court. There's no legitimacy because the Supreme Court dares follow the Constitution, which is what's currently happening. And so consequently they're finding ways to, to, to start fights here. Now this is all very rich coming from AOC. You'll remember she's – I mean she's got free tickets to the Met Gala. Uh, Ethics Committee decided to extend its investigations into that. Her boyfriend was paid using her campaign funds. I mean, this she's she is the last person to talk on this. All right, friends, I'll be back in a moment. News up next. Sam Rajovsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. President Joe Biden, Mr. Ice Cream Cone. Uh, What's he up to today? No one knows. Uh, Kind of a light schedule. But uh, one thing is clear. The report on the Afghanistan withdrawal is not going away easily. Friends, Sam Rajovsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. Uh, Over Easter, they dropped this. It was just right before Easter. The White House dropped its Afghan report on us. Big news dump when they thought we wouldn't be watching. And it was, well, it was a doozy. You read it, there is not an ounce of accountability that this administration takes for anything that happened in those tragic weeks that the Biden administration decided to, in a uh, totally mishandled, bungled operation to withdraw from Afghanistan, leaving behind, of course, not just allies, human capital, but also dogs, and a metric S-ton, which is, a, I guess, a technical measure of quantity of military equipment. Now, you've seen the scenes, of course. You know what, what happened that day. It was not, none of it was organized. None of it was dignified. None of it would inspire any amount of, of confidence uh, with any of our allies, that we would have their backs should events turn, uh, I guess, against our favor. Now, there's no mention, by the way, in this report of giving up Bagram Airfield. I mean, at the very least, we should have kept a base there as a as a, as, a, as, a, as an operations point. 
to be able to have a reach in the Middle East and also, and also to be close to, say, I don't know, Ukraine. When Americans and the military lost its foothold in Afghanistan, this directly emboldened Putin, knowing that American troops could not as easily reach the border. And it's this reason why the report kind of bizarrely goes into talking about Ukraine and Ethiopia and all this stuff. Uh, I'm telling you, there, there's a lot more to this, and, and the bungling is so deep and bears consequences on the current state of the world that I my takeaway here, uh, given how uh, just how, how terrible this report is, is I, the Biden people know that they're in deep doo-doo. Now, even CBS News, even CBS News knows that this is a load of crap. Uh, This is CBS White House correspondent Ed O'Keefe Thursday, just before the Easter holiday, uh, talking about this. Listen to what he has to say, because this is, again, this is a lib talking. This is CBS News, mainstream media. Uh, None of this is too flattering. What's telling is that this, we are led to believe, has been ready for weeks, if not months. Versions of this have been to the Secretary of Defense and the Secretary of State. They have then been passed up to the National Security Council, which in essence serves as the super desk for all things international or foreign relations in the administration. And they're the ones that wrote this watered-down public report, if we want to call it that. And they're releasing it here on the Thursday before a holiday weekend in the midst of the Catholic and Jewish and uh, high holidays when the president literally was leaving the White House as the report was released and when reporters were given just 10 minutes heads up before they came out for that briefing, which meant that we weren't necessarily able to give it the fullest review that would lead to better questions. And now State Department and Pentagon press corps at least won't have a chance to ask people in public about this until next week. Fine. That's their decision. Um, the other thing is that Congress isn't in session, and they're the ones that have been asking for this. It's the definition of a news dump. This is unbelievable. Now, Kirby, the spokes hole for the State Department, uh, is, um, gets asked by Peter Ducey if anyone's going to get fired for this report. Listen to this exchange. John, who's going to get fired over this? Peter The purpose of the document that we're putting out today uh, is to sort of collate the chief reviews and findings of the agencies that did after action reviews. Um, uh, It's not, the the purpose of it is not accountability. Oh, I see. The purpose of this is not accountability. Got it. The purpose of this is not to, let's say, point a finger at any one individual group of individuals, agencies who totally bungled this from top to bottom. No, not that. We wouldn't want to do that. After all, we're the Biden administration. We're Democrats. We're the people that invite losing teams to the White House because it's the nice thing to do. These people would give... These are the people that give, uh, give participation trophies to everyone that plays. And most importantly, they like this system because in this system, they cannot fail. This is the, I'll say this, this is the result of two things. One, 
liberal ideology that does not like accountability, except, of course, for political opponents. When it comes to political opponents, they want maximum accountability, none of which they would freely accept for themselves. But also, on the other hand, the other part of this is uh, that Democrats, I mean, right now the, the White House is being led by an absentee chief executive. There's no one sitting in the president's chair demanding anything. Now you're going to say, well, Sam, this is supremely naive of you because, of course, uh, Biden is the cause of this. I know this. I understand this. But even a, even a jaded operator like Biden, if he had all of his faculties, or let's just be, come on, let's not be greedy here. If he had 75% of his marbles, he would be, he would know, and he would demand a report that wasn't so full of holes. He would at least demand something that had, that was, that was defensible. That's my takeaway here. My takeaway is that no one in this government even thought about putting out a report that could be defended by CBS News. This is why I played the clip. Because even CBS News is sitting there going, okay, what? All these agencies, all these people, all these desks have had this report on them for months. It's been circulating around, getting approved signatures on the front page, all that jazz. And then they drop this on us in the press pool, give us 10 minutes to review it. Say, any questions? Any questions? All right, we're out of here. We're headed to uh, Easter break. Uh, Joe Biden, of course, headed up to uh, cabinet camp, camp David. This is, um, th- th- even they can't defend it. And that's, that's the tell here. And that, this, is, this is why this matters. Because this administration is getting, they're even, they are so, Biden is so out to lunch, he can't even lie straight anymore. He can't even fool people. He can't even fool his own people. Astounding. Now, Thursday in the same press conference, Kirby, John Kirby claimed that there was no chaos in the Afghanistan withdrawal. Speaking of the Middle East, remember, what was his name, Robbie? Baghdad Bob? Remember Baghdad Bob? He, he, was, the, he was the mouthpiece uh, for, for Saddam Hussein's uh, government. And, you know, there were shock and awe bombs getting dropped all over, all over uh, Baghdad. And he was sitting there on camera. He was talking about, <laughs> he was, there's nothing, everything's fine. There's no problem here. Everything's okay. We're good. Right? This terrible accent. Forgive me. But it's almost like this. Kirby talking that there was, there was no, no chaos in the withdrawal. Uh, For all this talk of chaos, I just didn't see it. Not from my perch. At one point during the evacuation, there was an aircraft taking off full of people, Americans and Afghans alike, every 48 minutes. And not one single mission was missed. So I'm sorry, I just won't buy the whole argument of chaos. Uh, there were people dropping off of airplanes holding on to the side of them. Look, I, I, I'm not an expert here, but I'm just going to say, Kirby, that just maybe you didn't have the airport airfield secure, you dumb A-money money. 
What the hell is this? I didn't see it, not from, not from my perch. This guy's like the blind canary. <laughs> it is starting to be, the Biden administration is starting to devolve into a self-parody of legitimate government. And it just goes to show you what starts as a fraud ends in disaster. And for every person that defended this and allowed it to happen, shame on you. For every person that actually voted for Biden because this is Trump and his mean tweets, this is on you. Those people that dropped off those airplanes, every one of them is on you. And no, you don't get amnesty for this. You don't get to say, well, it was just in the moment. I didn't think. I didn't know. Nonsense. All of it. Don't go anywhere. Sam Rajofsky, I'll be back in a moment. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit samandashlaw.com. Greetings, friends. Sam Rajofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT, a show brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law. I got an email moments ago from Richard here in Las Vegas asking me uh, for a legal question here about, well, let's say this, uh, talking about uh, conservatives. Would conservatives under federal law be able to sue uh, the federal government for a hostile uh, work environment, I think is the gist of this, right? Uh, if I understand the question correctly here, perusing it quickly in the break, the answer is, uh, well, not so fast. The laws that are enforced by the EOC um, include Title VII, uh, also things like the Disabilities Act, uh, age discrimination, equal pay, pregnancy discrimination, uh, under the Civil Rights Act, Title VII, I, I mean, you can sue certainly for uh, things like, well, race, color, religion, national origin, or sex. Uh, so religion, right? I guess if Christians, if you could prove that a person who is a Christian is being discriminated against in a workplace, in a federal workplace, which I, I have no doubt occurs, but you have to prove it. And it's tough. And then you've got to take your case through the courts. And depending what circuit you're in, what federal circuit you're in, you're probably not going to get, I don't know, you're not going to get the friendliest of trial court judges or appellate judges on it. So it's an interesting idea. Um, no doubt people out there are getting discriminated against for being conservative, but your political opinions, your political affiliation uh, is not a protected category in, under federal law. So those those uh, these these laws that you reference, Richard, uh, would not necessarily apply. Hope that was helpful, but glad to have you listening. All right. Um, by the way, look at that. I got that email at 2.43. It's 2.51, and that's how quickly I respond. I tell you, folks, I will if there's a decent legal question that we can, we can all talk about. I'll, I'll respond to it in real time. By the way, this is how I respond to clients, and I had a great opportunity today to Talk to Alan a little more in depth. Alan Stock here, morning, uh, mornings uh, 8 to 9 on News Talk 840 KXNT. Alan's a good friend of mine. We get to touch base every Tuesday uh, at 830 
usually on with him for about 30 minutes. Really enjoy that morning uh, together with him. And one of the things he, he brought up, he asked me because he'd been listening to, to the show, uh, my show, uh, earlier uh, sometime, I think it was last week, where I was talking about these this crazy situation in Vegas where these lawyers are sending people out to scan for accidents. They find, uh, here are the 911 calls. They've got an app that alerts them where an accident occurs, and then they go out there and try to sign the person up at the scene of the accident. And I just, again, I'm putting the word out there, please, folks, if you or uh, a loved one have had a lawyer currently or in the past do this to you, please reach out to me. I want to hear from you because uh, we are building a a list of people that engage in this practice. It needs to end. It's illegal. Uh, they, lawyers cannot either directly or through intermediaries solicit you at the scene of an accident. It is unethical. It is illegal. You can void your agreement with them, meaning you do not owe them any attorney fees on your case if you can prove that they did that to you. So if you've got text message or a record of what occurred, uh, so just be aware of this. You, you, you have rights, and, and the lawyer that is willing to break the law and to violate his ethical duties at the outset, you know, initial portion of your case uh, is somebody who is probably not going to have too many scruples about screwing you on the back end. And that also, unfortunately, is a symptom of this. It's harder to prove, of course, than you get into all sorts of uh, all sorts of, of stuff, you know, it's, it's very hard. By the way, it's very hard to prove, you know, that a, that a certain case was maybe settled for 10% of what it was worth. Uh, value can be a subjective thing, but I, I've had cases, and I mentioned this with Alan, I've had cases that I've taken over from these uh, cheating, uh, snaky lawyers out there, and, and they're, trying to get, they're trying to get the client to take peanuts, you know, 10 grand, whatever, uh, for their case, and, and, and ultimately the case settles for you know, for six figures and a client just thinks it's a miracle and I'm looking at it and I'm going, no, I'm just going for full value. That's what we do. A good lawyer goes for full value and, and, you know, is not looking for the quick buck on your case. But the quick buck artists, they're out there with the police scanners. They're roaming the streets of our community, showing up at accident scenes, oftentimes even before the police. And it's wrong. It's unethical. It needs to stop. And so please put the word out with your friends and family that this is, this is not how, how it's supposed to be. And good firms like Sam and Ash Injury Law do not operate this way. All right, so back to, back to, back to politics. Let's go to something more savory. Ah, just kidding. You know, this Afghan report, now Kirby, he's the, this guy, he's the one who just, I played the clip a minute ago about him claiming that well, there was no chaos at the airport. There was no chaos at the airport. All good. Nothing to see here. Yeah, he said that. And then he, he talked about a little bit of the chaos in the early days of the withdrawal. And this is what he said back in August as it was all unfolding. August of 2021. This is outlandish. The crowd size is smaller uh, now than it was in those first few days. Um, and, uh, and, and so we're not experiencing to the degree we did, you know, last Monday, um, the physical 
uh, crush and, and chaos. I'm not suggesting, Gordon, that there aren't desperate people outside that airport who want in. Absolutely. We're not, we're not ignoring that. I'm just saying that to Megan's question, that we're not seeing the same pressure put on the system now that there was in the early days. Oh, wait. So there was some chaos. There was a physical crush of people. There are desperate people outside the airport who want in. Now, by the way, though, like, this, so, so now Thursday he's saying that there was no chaos? I didn't see it, not from my perch? One of the things my, my parents would always say is, you know, it's, it's hard to keep your, when you start lying, it's hard to keep your lies straight. And there's an idiom in Czech, you know, that lies have short legs, meaning they don't travel far. They can't get, they can't get, you don't get far by lying. Eventually, it all catches up with you. And that's what we have here with this administration. They, their lies are literally catching up with them, and we can see it. And the thing is, in a world of video, in a world of you know, live reporting, where, where you have Twitter and, and, and other means of getting information, all of this is at our fingertips. All of this is easily referenced. And now they're losing even members of the White House press corps that are affiliated with legacy media, i.e. CBS News. Now, this is, uh, you know, I, I, I get this is bananas. Now, in the 12-page report, it mentions Ukraine eight times. You know, this is the report on Afghanistan. At no point, though, does it say, well, whoops, maybe we shouldn't have given up a strategic air base that would have allowed us to have more dominance in that part of the world, Mm-mm, doesn't mention that, mentions Trump nine times and blames Trump for a lack of evacuation plan. <laughs> so Biden started the withdrawal after eight months in office, and yes, it was all Trump's fault. Uh-huh. Accountability? No, this report was not about accountability, just like they said. Accountability is only for Trump. That's the only pe- that's the only person that the Dems want to hold accountable. No personal responsibility for themselves whatsoever. All right, friends, it's a show. It's over, just like that. I'll be back again tomorrow. Don't worry. Uh, here, one to three p.m. News Talk eight forty KXNT. Sam Rachofsky, you know where to find us. Apple Podcast, Spotify, Odyssey app. What's right show. See you tomorrow. <laughs>